RadioInfluence.com. The future is now. Hey, gang, welcome to this edition of the Real Animals Podcast. Today I'm talking with one of my very closest friends in the fishing industry with real-adventures.com, my good friend, Captain Jeff Hageman. He is one of the guests that works with the Florida Insider Fishing Report. Absolutely a phenomenal tarpon fisherman, snook fisherman, been fishing Florida's West Coast since he was a kid. Really going to be interesting to dive into tarpon fishing a little bit with Captain Jeff Hagen. We just finished up another great great tarpon season and uh we certainly hope you enjoy it real animals podcast again presented by contender boats hope you enjoy it joining me here today on the real animals podcast which is presented by our good friends at contender boats a very very good friend of mine uh, I would say probably one of my dearest friends in the fishing business uh, known each other a long time spent about I don't know, eight to ten years living together uh, down in Boca Grande when we were down there doing the tarpon thing. My good friend, Captain Jeff Hageman with Real Adventures joins me here today. How are you, buddy? Great. Yeah? Yeah, it's good to have yeah, you. Good, good talking to you. Yeah, it's good to have you, brother. It's uh, I've been looking forward to kind of uh, of sharing your story. I think you kind of have an interesting story. And, and with you, I think we obviously have to start with um, you know, how and why and where you came up with this passion, this love uh, for the sport of fishing. You're one of my favorite guides here on the west coast of Florida, one of the best guides, in my opinion, on the west coast of Florida. How does all that happen? How did that get started? Where did uh, that come from? It came from my dad, 100%. Uh, he got me fishing, you know, as soon as I could walk, pretty much. Took me around started, you know, fishing off the docks, catching bluegill and just like everybody else and bass and smallmouth in the rivers and then in Chesapeake Bay, get some blue fishing and then Florida got into my life really young. I moved down here when I think I was four or five and fished tarpon springs and we vacationed all in the Keys and in, in Boca Grands. That was one of my two favorite places I, I love to fish. And when I knew I was going to be guiding when I hit about 17, um, those were definitely on my to-do list was to do. I love tarpon fishing. I made up with it. Love catching them small, love catching them big. And actually I'm leaving tomorrow to go film with Murphy and go do a tarpon show with him on sportsman adventures. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he, he, at least he's not doing it in the middle of the season, kind of season winding down a little bit. It should be good down. I guess you're going you're going down to Boca Grande to do that. Yeah, we're gonna go down to Boca Grande. We're gonna go try and catch some of those micro poons on fly, and then maybe go try and get a big one, and maybe finish up with a snook or something. Oh, nice. Is the plan? Nice, yeah. nice. Well, that'll be a good trip. Oh, Ted Hageman, there, a good friend of mine as well. You do have a, you've got a great family that. Uh, that backs you for sure in your uh, in your fishing adventures, and um, so I, I was I was interested to see as you were going into that story because uh, I, I still have trouble and and I, I, those that uh, download the podcast that don't know you or haven't met you or just see you on the Florida Insider Fishing Report probably don't know or remember Jeff with really long hair and uh, 
cooking <laughs> cooking wings and stuff at Hooters. So uh, there yeah, was a yeah, there was a <laughs> there was a time there that you were working at Hooters on Hillsboro, yep. right? Yeah, it was. Well, I I started. Uh, you know, I love to cook. I was either going to be a chef or. Uh, I was going to go fishing. That was my two things I had a passion about. Still love to cook. Still do a lot of that. And you've tasted some of that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Tarpon camp. Yep. And uh, so I got a job doing that to see if I like that. It was, the benefits were great. I was going to say, it's interesting. <laughs> my boy Jeffrey chose Hooters yeah. to, uh, let's see, if I'm going to be in the cooking side of things, I think I'll do it at Hooters. <laughs> Ed Gruden thought the same thing when he was, I, I couldn't, you know, tell you that for sure. But <laughs> people, I think he kind of thought the same thing when he was working there. He probably did. I think it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting to, 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 uh, to note that, uh, my wife was working at the same Hooters that you worked at, although I don't think you two worked there at the same time. Um, but yeah. I thought that was pretty interesting that, uh, you and I would become dear friends and then obviously, you know, my, my lovely bride, uh, that's where I met her at too. She was the bar manager at that same Tampa Hooters. Um, and that when, when I walked in the door there and changed my life forever. So that's pretty interesting. And, uh, I wasn't going to let you get away. Just, just tell the fish part of your story without diving into the, well, uh, I, I started actually, my dad started a big sporting goods business in Tampa. And jumbo, jumbo sports, it right? Was, was it, it was actually sports unlimited first. Cool, okay. And then he, he sold, uh, retired and it turned into jumbo after okay. that. Okay. He was already out of there, but uh, that's where the passion for fishing came. He actually started with mercury, um, and was working for Brunswick selling outboards. Oh. And they came up with this concept to open this big, huge, the first, you know, big store, right? Big box and uh, big box store right? for, you know, before the Bass Pros and all that stuff. And, uh, I worked there for a little bit. So I did the sales side of fishing. I, and I worked in the fishing department, and then I did the wholesale side of fishing. Worked for Jones Tackle, and then I uh, loved fishing. I took you know a couple of my friends out fishing and like doing that. So I started making on an offshore boat down in Sarasota, and uh, knew I loved to go fishing. Knew I didn't like uh, to watch people get sick, so I went the inshore route. Uh, it's interesting. Man. It's interesting. <laughs> well, but it's interesting. And I was thinking about this, uh, as, as, as I was preparing for this podcast, I had recently done a podcast with Kat Mozzie Fisher and, and there's very few guys that I know. Um, and I know there are some, but it, the numbers aren't huge. It's usually you're an inshore guy or you're an offshore guy. And I know with, you know, just like Ozzy Fisher, you're very good at both. Um, which I think is really impressive because that's not easy to do. You know, somebody that can go run a big boat um, and handle all the big offshore stuff, you know, whether you're dragging gear or bottom fishing, um, you're really good at that. And then obviously, you know, with the tarp and the snook, the redfish and all of your tournament wins and things that you've done, you know, throughout your career on the inshore side, to me, that's pretty interesting that you would be that good at both sides of it. I mean, I can go do both. But I'm obviously better inshore than I am offshore. It's interesting to me that, you know, and along the line somewhere, I assumed you had to spend some great amount of time offshore to get that good offshore. Yeah. Um, I, like I got, like I said, I, I grew up, you know, 
fishing with my dad and I got to fish a lot of cool places with a lot of cool people with his contacts and growing up doing that. And, and the offshore thing was really where I was going and the size of the boat I had to buy. And, and the most of it was, you know, the people getting sick. Right. <laughs> I watched people get sick on that, you know, on that 47 California I worked on. And, and, uh, it was just, it's not, I see people having a bad time and that's not why they're out there to fish. Right. They're out there to fish and have fun and have a great time. Right. So that's why I went that route. But I still love doing that. I love tournament fishing offshore. I love bottom fishing. I love catching pelagics, marlin, tuna, and all that stuff. Sword fishing. It's, uh, my passion's still tarpon, foremost. Nothing pulls like a tarpon. Well, but, and uh, the yeah. offshore thing's also enjoyable. With, with that, I'm going to dive into, uh, something else and there's a whole bunch of directions i can i can take this with you being you and i've been friends so long but let's talk a little bit and it seems to be a hot button i've had a lot of people drop me emails asking me to you know do podcasts with tarpon guys so we can get some tips what are some tips jeff what is it a couple of things that you could tell the the people that are listening to help them catch more tarpon you know, we, we, you and I both know that there's times when tarpon are being tarpon and they're just stubborn and doesn't really matter what you throw at them. They're not going to eat. It's just one of them days or you're, you're really, you know, working hard for one or two bites and that's all you're going to get all day. Um, but, but I mean, a couple of things that people can do to up their chances of hooking the silver king. Biggest thing I can tell is slow down. Everybody's in such a hurry. And I get it because you get excited and you want that bite and you want that fish to fly and all that. But slow down. If the fish are calm and they're not eating, there's a couple things. The tide's not moving, which will make them stop biting. Sure. That's a given with most saltwater fish. Right. Um, the tide's not moving or they're pressured or spooked. Now, that could be you. That could be the guy that just ran over them 10 minutes ago. That could be the 15 jet skis that just went by. Or the sharks that are, um, or the or sharks, the sharks. That are sharks that are circling them. Yeah, that was, that was my next thing. <laughs> yeah. Sharks are, are something you don't always get to see and know that's down there that's pressuring a fish that is not going to bite. Right. And then, I mean, with all the technology out and the side scans going on and all that stuff, um, you can see a lot more stuff that you, you can't. Right. Um, so slow down a little bit. Kind of work your way in real slow approach on the trolling motor set super slow you know take your time getting to the fish figure out what direction they're heading tarpon are not going to eat i see a, a the biggest mistake i see with tarpon fishermen is they throw over top of them and in front of them yeah they don't eat from their tails yeah, I've never I, seen a tarpon do it. It's so nice of you to just say tail because even in my seminars, yeah. I, I look at people and I'm like, you know, they don't eat out their butt, right? That's not where they're yeah. going to eat from. <laughs> okay. I mean, let me just put it to you. It's pretty simple. You have to put it on their nose because that's where their mouth is. It cracks me up, dude. And, and you and I both fish in Boca Grande for so many years. I've driven away from pods of fish where guys were just throwing over the top of them and over the top of them. I'm like, I can't be around these people anymore. I have to move. <laughs> if you can't figure out that none of the guys in here that are hooked up were doing it that way, then you're never going to catch a fish. It's never going to happen for you. Yeah. The other thing is tide when you're setting up for tarpon. Tarpon are usually going to be in the tide. Um, 
whether the tide's flowing north and south, up down the beach, depending on if it's going in or out. Um, the tarpon are usually uh, following that. Like they're going to a pass to go feed on the right. change of the tide. Right. But the wind direction of the tide is not always how you're going to set up on the fish um, to make your approach and make your cast. Usually it's going to be up tide. Whether the wind's wrong for that is another story, and that's where you get the people that are casting usually over their tails or over top of them or right through the middle of them. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's the biggest thing. So take your time, just slow down, kind of evaluate everything, see how you're blowing into the fish, see how your, your baits are moving. You know, you can put your cork out the side without throwing in them and see how it's drifting. Exactly. If you got a good current flow. So that'll tell you your tide. And usually there's a spot on that school. If they're not spooked, they're not pressured, and there's a little tide, they'll usually eat. And if you can get them calmed down enough, if they've been run over, right, I've stayed with schools for an hour, you know, letting them calm down and letting them get right after getting run over or blown up or have sharks come into them. And then, you know, I can see on the side scan that the sharks are finally gone. They've moved past them and, and you can get a shot in there and sitting on a school of fish for an hour takes a lot of patience, but that's that whole thing to slow down a little bit. Yeah especially if there's not a ton of schools around you and you don't have a lot of options to go do that slowing down a little bit and figuring out that one side. Usually there's a corner on that school that you can usually come to eat at. Right. That's my biggest number one tip next to that water clarity and leader size is another big thing. I started exclusively using circle hooks, uh, when I'm crab fishing and even thread fishing, fishing. You have a certain vintage. Is there a certain hook that you like over the rest of them, Jeff? Uh, that owner Mutu, uh, the seven aught light. Really? I use that hook. Yep, that's my favorite hook I've been using. The trocar is really close to it. The trocar, I think it's a it's a Mutu style. I don't know the exact name of that one. Yeah, I did. That one works I really did, well. I too. did know it. I got a bunch of those from the fishers. Nick and Ozzy both use that trocar. Uh, Lancer, yep. is it a Lancer? I think it's a I think so. yeah. I think it's a Lancer, and it's it looks a lot. It's a little heavier wire than the Owner Mutu because um, I have some of those Owner Mutus as well. Um, and and it's hard when you fish, you know, it's hard when you fish with a Jeff Hageman or a Jamie Goodwin or a Ozzy Fisher or a Nick Fisher to figure out that it's just the hook. Because I, I tend to believe in the multitudes of times that I've fished either with you guys or near you guys that you guys seem to catch them no matter what hook you're using. So I, <laughs> I don't, I don't always think it's just the hook. Um, but you know, I'm also one of those guys that, you know, when I'm on the boat and we're hooking tarpon and we're getting them right in the button time after time, that's the hook I want to use. Yeah. So yeah, those hooks seem to be right. That's what I found with that, especially with a float. If you're using any kind of float, that hook really, I mean, it, it's right in the button every time and it goes through, it's clean, um, and that way you can get away with a little bit lighter of a leader. I was having good and luck. I, super, super clear. I was having good luck with that style hook. Uh, I was using the trocars uh, out at Egmont on the drifts with the crabs mm -hmm. without the cork, still having really good button hookups on my fish out there this season. So I thought... You know, that's a pretty good style hook. And again, I'm a big owner Mutu guy as well. I think they make great hooks. Um, I use that hook on all my inshore stuff, uh, a 2-aught uh, Mutu light. So, um, you know, 
and I'm not sponsored by owner. I just, I just like that hook. Yeah. So I'm know, not either. Yeah. I and, do too. Yeah. And I use the trocars as well. So, um, and again, the trocars are a little harder to find, um, but it's a good hook. It's a really sharp hook. That's a pretty nasty, uh, point on that hook and, and it with a, with a tarpon, that's obviously, you know, if, if anybody knows, any, yeah, if anybody knows anything about tarpon, that mouth is, like a rock pile in there. You got to really get something in there that'll stick so you can get that fish to the boat. So that's pretty interesting. The other big thing tip wise, I can suggest most of the gear I'm using, I'm using a 5,000 or a 6,500 size reel, you know, 50 on the smaller 5,000 and 65 on the bigger reel. And then a really heavy eight foot rod. The biggest thing I can say as far as tips for catching them and landing them is you wouldn't believe the amount of drag you can get on a fish. There's no reason to fight a fish for an hour. Oh, I agree. 15 minutes, 15 minutes to 30 minutes tops. If you've got a stubborn one and you're in tide is all you should be fighting the tarpon for. I agree. I and, totally I agree. mean, occasionally you will get one that's not going to jump and not wear himself out. It's going to drag you a little longer than that. So, but I see a lot of guys and make one of the biggest mistakes I see is people following their fish. Right. You're not putting any drag on a fish. You chase them on the trolling motor. Exactly. I get you got to chase them on the trolling motor if you're around a group of people and you're trying to get away from or weaving through people and trying not to get hung on other people's props and lines and all that stuff. But if you're by yourself, let them go. Yeah. You got 400 yards of line or 300 yards of line on there. Let them go. Let them dump half the school. He won't. I promise. If right. he drags right, and you can get 12, 15 pounds on with not a problem. With if you got good knots and using you know that hook, I haven't straightened none of those hooks out yet. Right. I put some heat on my fish. Right. Well, and and, the other uh, thing, the other thing too is, and, and it, I want to say somebody had sent me the 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 information on this several years back, but an eighty to hundred pound tarpon is like seventy five years old. It's yep. so important to get that fish released healthy and back into our estuary. I mean, what you're doing if you fight a fish for an hour or an hour and a half is you're killing it. I mean, the yep. chances that that fish lives through that are not good. The mortality rate goes up a lot. Way high, right. And we don't want that. That's not what we want. It's one of the things you guys taught me when I first started fishing down there in Boca Grande many moons ago, and that's where I started my tarpon fishing. I never tarpon fished up here. I tarpon fished down there first and kind of threw myself into the mix and was fortunate enough to have you and Jamie and George Green and Bobby Goodwin and a bunch of, you know, good guys, Mark Thomas, that would kind of walk me through the ropes. And I remember somebody coming by me at one point and looking at me going, hey, are you done taking that dog for a walk? You've been following that fish for 45 <laughs> minutes. Stop following them and let your customer pull on them. And, and that's usually what I tell my people now when, when they get in the fight chair on the front of the boat and they're like, hey, he's taking line. I'm like, yeah, well, take it back. I mean, guess what? You got to tire him out. This is, this is the work part of catching a tarpon. And it's a lot of work, but it's super gratifying when we get that beautiful gold eye next to the boat and that big old bucket mouth and you get to get your picture taken and you earn it. That's an, it's an incredible event. But when you, you know, you can't expect that you're fighting 125 to 170 pound fish and think that this is going to be easy. (laughs) You're going to do, you're going to do some work. You've got to pull on that fish and get them to the boat. And that's how those fish get tired. And that's how you win that battle yeah but I've, I've had i mean jamie uses i mean i use a lot of drag jamie uses a ton more drag than i do 
which, I mean, he's getting to the point where, I mean, some of his customers can't even pick up the rod. But, I mean, <laughs> he lands his fish quick, and he gets, you know, gets to go find another one. Right. So that's, I, that's a good thing, too. But I, I kind of gradually do it. Jamie's right off the get-go, full bore. <laughs> I'll start him a little light, you know, like at 10 pounds, and then move it up to 15 or 12 or 15, somewhere in that range, depending on the fish and how he's acting. And uh, you're just... You want to take care of that fish. That's, I mean, like you said, that fish is an old fish, and it took them a long time to get there, and we want that fish to keep reproducing and make little guys so we have them in the future. I remember tarpon season, all of us living together for about two months, and one corner uh, of the garage would be completely empty uh, when we started our tarpon camp or uh, tarpon season down there in Boca Grande. And about six weeks in, that corner would be full of all of the rods and reels that Jamie had destroyed while dragging, yeah. tarpon, <laughs> while, Jamie, <laughs> while dragging tarpon to his boat with the drag lock down. And <laughs> I mean, that boy goes through, some, <laughs> he goes through some tackle. There's no doubt. There's no doubt about it. Let's, uh, let's talk about our estuary a little bit here on Tampa Bay. I know it's near and dear to your heart as, uh, these are your home waters as well as mine. Uh, obviously the red tide that uh, beat us up a little bit last year really beat up uh, south of us there Sarasota Charlotte Harbor got it real bad um, how are you seeing things Jeff I know you've been on the water here recently and you know here we are a year out I'm seeing some painful remnants of what's uh, got left behind still it's not that we you know I've had some really good days in waters that were affected by the red tide um, but I don't see the numbers of fish that I've seen in years past, at least not yet. Are you seeing something different, or is that about the way no, you see? I'm, I'm not. I'm gonna agree with you on that. And I think I think a lot of our fish. I think our water temperatures are changing. I really do, and I think our fish are pushing to the north. I mean, I'm getting reports of snook being caught all the way to Tallahassee. That was unheard of. Wow. You know, Hernando line was kind of a line right. when I was a kid. Nothing past that, and if it, unless it was in the spring, would live in our winters. Right. And now you got fish going, you know, all the way to the panhandle. And, you know, I'm getting reports of bonefish being caught, not regularly, but, you know, regular enough for me to pay attention at Anklet. Yeah, There's a guy out there that I see pop up on Facebook, and I can see the um, Anklet PowerPoint in the background. He's out there pompano fishing and catching bonefish. So, I think we got a steady trend of fish starting to move to the north. Crystal River, as you know, and Homosassa has school fish like we used to have oh, yeah. in Tampa Bay and Boca Grande. Silly fish. And all the way. They're Steen, not known for that. Stina Hatchie. <laughs> God, there's a lot of red oh, fish yeah. up there. It's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. And, and we don't have them like we did. And right. Now, granted, some of the red tide took us hold on that. I was running the big boat back i ran a big boat too offshore and i was running the big boat back and forth during that whole red tide epidemic we were having from boca grande to tampa bay just to get away from the tide so we can get some bait and go out and you know, go fishing and we took a big hit on our breeder fish. fish i went through miles and miles of dead ones i know you, was, you, you text me when you were doing that and it was breaking my heart yeah. i'm like god yeah, i mean you see 30, 40 pound redfish floating 10 feet apart for six miles. It's a little disheartening. Yeah, no doubt. And the FWC just called me actually yesterday and they wanted to interview me. And I think we need to keep our 
our stuff closed for a little bit just to recoup a little bit. Our snook right now are going to be, you know, if they, they plan on opening us up again, our snook right now are going to be in that size limit where they're keepers. Right. We need to get past that size limit so they can get out there and spawn and make babies. And, and during that red tide last year we had down there, we never had a spawn. Right. They spawn in, you know, that last moon of June, second, first and second moon in July is when they usually spawn down there. And they got hit with a red tide and pushed them out and they never did their spawn. So we lost the whole season of that spawn we had. Yeah, it's an entire year I don't know how they were doing in Tampa Bay, but it's an entire year class. Yeah. So, and I mean, we used to catch a lot of big trout. And you were there next to me doing it. So, I mean, oh, yeah. you get the occasional 30-inch trout, which I haven't seen that in a long time. So, no, our trout, we need to I think our trout step took, back and, took the biggest hit of all. Um, the yeah. trout fishing has been abysmal, although I've been getting a few reports here and there over the last couple of weeks of some decent deep water uh, trout bites, um, you know, in, in 8 to 10 foot of water. Nine foot of water, um, so that's encouraging. But again, you know, I'm not sure that we'll be ready, uh, you know, by next May, which is you know not that long from now, eight, nine, ten months. And uh, I, I just don't know if that's enough time to let that fully recover. So hopefully, uh, yeah, I think we have years. We need to let that recover and keep it closed and and make our fishery like it was. I really think we do need that. I do too. I know a lot of people like to eat fish, but there's other stuff to go catch and eat that didn't take as big a hit as their snook trout and their redfish did. Yeah, it really, it, it, and it's funny because it's a very heated topic. Um, there's so many people that seem to not agree with the closure, which it just baffles my mind. I can't understand it. Uh, and again, sometimes, you know, there's parts of the upper bay, there's parts of the south shore on Tampa Bay where the fishing's extraordinary it's fantastic i was having 50 60 snook days in may and june where just every direction you threw a bait you caught another snook now most of those fish were 25 to 22 inches long but there was a pile of them Um, and that's a good thing that's a good thing and i understand if that's where you fish you having trouble understanding why you think there's why we think there's a snook problem but you have to remember that that west coast of florida is what got the red tide it wasn't just tampa bay it wasn't just the mouth of tampa bay that got the red tide it was an epidemic all up and down the west coast of florida um so you know and you can see areas like uh clearwater over there caladesi and obviously north of that up into homosassa and crystal river areas that didn't get hit with the red tide that are having very very strong fishing for both snook and redfish right now yep um, and you can kind of see what a difference it makes if you weren't in on that. So, you know, hopefully we can get a break. Hopefully people will respect the closures and hopefully the FWC will listen to those that they interview and, uh, and do the right thing and keep this thing closed long enough. I do give the FWC a lot of credit, um, cause I think they will make the right choice. They seem to do their homework on this inshore fishery and seem to get it right. So unlike our national marine fisheries friends who never seem to get it right, but that's a, 
that's a that's a conversation. That's yeah, it's a conversation <laughs> for a different podcast that we'll uh, eventually have for sure. But uh, I want to make sure we talk a little bit about. Um, obviously, you know that uh, one of your good friends is also one of my good friends, uh, our good friend Captain Rick Murphy, who is the host of uh, Sportsman's Adventures and the Florida Insider Fishing Report, which Captain Jeff Hageman is. Uh, a part of. He is the uh, captain that they turn to when they want to find out what's going on here in uh, a part of the West Central Florida region. And uh, how long have you been doing the report there with uh, with Murph and Bree, uh, Jeff? Um, I'm, I think I'm only two seasons since day one. I was going to say, you, you've so been started, doing it a long time. I started, yeah, I've been, I've been with them since I think their third season. And we just celebrated, I think, our 25th anniversary. And it's it's crazy how many episodes we do. I just, I was actually going in another room to read it. Uh, 350 episodes so far of Sportsman's. Of Sportsman's Adventures, yeah. Uh, no, 25 years of Sportsman Adventures. Right. 25 uh, years of Sportsman's Adventures. And I know that Florida Insider Fisher Report hasn't been around that long. Because, no, cause I was, yeah, because I was doing radio when it all started, and I've been doing the radio shows for eighteen years. So he must, uh, but I bet it's been, I bet it's been fifteen years. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, I it's been a while. Trying. It's been a while, and I know you've been a part of it for a long time. And uh, I think We've it's a, done four hundred episodes. I just looked it up real quick 400 episodes wow 400 episodes on four times a week so that's that's a lot of so that's, airtime yeah that's <laughs> unbelievable and, he, and what do you do 30 yeah, great show good concept 32 weeks a year right uh 29 29 weeks a year okay i knew it was close yeah. to 30 yeah that's pretty impressive and now uh, i know captain rick and Bree and his whole crew have started the texas insider fishing report as well uh, which again, hopefully we'll get a chance to do a podcast with Captain Rick Murphy. But how did that whole thing come about that you ended up, uh, filling that role here for West Central Florida? Other than the fact that obviously you're one of the best on the West Coast of Florida. Is that, is that just what Rick was lurking, for, looking for? Or, you know, were you guys friends before that? How did that all come about? Uh, most probably I'm going to say the Redfish tournaments. Okay. I got gotcha. you. We were competing against each other in the Redfish tournaments quite a bit. And, and uh, I think I got a second right there in Jacksonville. And that was at the time one of his, the guy who was fishing with home water. And we were in first day one. And he actually bumped us out a second. We got talking. He goes, you know, I got an opening coming up <laughs> for your your area and a lot further north of you. Would you be interested? And, and uh, it went from there. Nice. He's a great guy. I spent a little, I spent some time in Guatemala with Rick, and of course, I spent some time at his house with him and his family, and in the Bahamas, and and uh, had a good time every time we fished together. We usually I usually come down there and stay with him when I'm going down to Miami Boat Show, and hang out at his house with his wife, kids, and the dogs. Right, right, but right, right. Rick's a Rick's a definite sportsman too. He loves to hunt. He's got a number of accomplishments in the fishing world that I can't even get into. I mean, his, his trophy room looks, makes mine look absolutely small. <laughs> he's a, he's a great, great angler. Loves, loves his job, loves his fishing. 
I mean, he's still, he's doing three shows now and still got it. I know it. Pretty I much know full it. time. I know it. I mean, you got to have a passion for it to put that many, that many hours in your, it's impressive. your life and a I, year. And yeah. if I always look in, and it's interesting because I sit back and I think I've got the two radio shows, the TV show, the podcast, and then I'm guiding. So, and I get a lot of people telling me. a handful. That, yeah, a lot of people are like, damn, Mike, you're busy. And then there's Rick Murphy. <laughs> Rick is yep. really busy because he's doing 29 and of... And tournament fishes on top of it. I know. <laughs> and he, well, listen, here's the other thing. The, the, the real impressive part is he doesn't just tournament fish. Anybody could tournament fish. He usually tournament wins and competes. Like he's yeah, in it, you know, not only is he fishing them, but he's competing to win them, uh, which means you're doing the work on the backside to make sure that you're where you need to be, where the fish are, get dialed in and all that. Really, uh, really impressive. Make sure if you are out and about uh, and you check out Florida Insider Fishing Report, my good friend. Captain Jeff Hageman. Before we go, we got to talk a little bit. You and I both have a uh, a common hobby. We both like to uh, go sit in a tree a little bit and and do a little bit of hunting. If you uh, if you had to tell somebody somewhere in the United States that your very favorite place to deer hunt, Jeff, what would it be? Oh, that one's tough. Yeah, I got you, didn't I? Yeah, Kentucky, <laughs> Georgia, Alabama. I can't really pick. It's not one place, Jeff. Body it's three size <laughs> and, and, and company. I mean, you, you can't. It's not deer camp, and you can't do that because I got great guys in Alabama deer camp. I got great guys in Georgia deer camp, and Kentucky. I mean, I spend a month in Kentucky up there with Rob Davenport at 4D, and uh, the deer, the company, the food. Love deer camp. Yeah, deer camp's pretty special. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. I was. I mean, um, it's not just sitting in that tree and shooting that buck of a lifetime. It's it's deer camp. I mean, I sat, I don't know, four or five times without a gun, just with you know his kids and sitting there and hanging out. And I don't know how we saw deer because we were laughing and joking so much that they came out. <laughs> you know, they shot them, but <laughs> we were laughing so hard. I didn't. I didn't know how deer were going to be in there. Yeah. Well, that's really what it's all about. You know, when I, I, I've hunted since I was young with my, I started hunting with my dad, God rest his soul. And, uh, I remember sitting at a podunk little tavern in northern Wisconsin, foot and a half, two foot of snow on the ground. And my dad and I are in there drinking cold cocktails and eating survival discs. We used to call them bar pizzas. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, I remember looking at my father, and again, we had a big group of guys, you know, we're all scruffy-faced and, you know, been running around the woods for days and drinking too many beers and eating bad food. And, and I remember, you know, guys breaking into song and all kinds of crazy stuff. I remember sitting there thinking and looking at my dad going, you know what, if you don't get this part of it, then you probably should never come. You should never probably go deer hunting if you don't get this part. And again, not the, not the bad pizzas and the cold beer and all that. If you don't, you know, you don't have to eat horrible food and, and drink too much to make deer camp exciting, but it's that camaraderie. It's, uh, it's like you said, deer camp, you know, building a fire and telling stories and laughing about, you know, somebody falling out of their tree stand or falling out of their golf cart or whatever it may be. You know, there's just so many things that happen over the years at deer camp that you end up laughing about year after year after year. Um, 
always one of my favorite things to go do. And it's about that time of year when I start to fantasize about sitting in a tree stand when it's about 35 degrees out because it's 135 degrees outside right now and I can't wait for it to just oh, yeah. be 35 and me to be bundled up but uh, yeah that's uh, I've got a great story about deer game come on I'm ready for a good we story we went uh, yeah this is about me and Jamie and Bobby we okay. go up to Alabama we, we do every year it's the Goodwin brothers Jamie and Goodwin and Bobby Goodwin yes the Goodwin yeah. okay. yes so uh, I, I usually don't hunt in the morning I cook breakfast for everybody when they come in, you know, breakfast is ready. And me and the guy that takes care of the property we're on, that's cousins with a landowner, they're sitting there and we're getting ready to fire up the flat top griddle outside and cook breakfast up. And we hear a shot and it's coming from Bobby's direction. And I saw a deer the night before back there and I sent him in there. It was a mature deer, and, you know, it was a call buck. It wasn't a, you know, giant, but it's Bobby hasn't got to kill a lot of deer. Right. So I was thinking, you know, that's a great deer for him. I'll send him in there. It's a mature deer. It needs to be shot anyway. I'll send him in there. So I hear a shot. I'm like, oh, he got him. Good. Just picking up my phone to call him, and I hear another shot. I was like, oh, boy. That's, <laughs> that's never good. No, it's never good when you get a follow-up. Right. So, I've done it, but I know it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wait a few minutes, and, and I call and he answers the phone, you know, very shaky voiced. And I go, did you go? Well, I don't, I don't know. I said, well, is he down? I can't see him. Okay. <laughs> he goes, I'm going to sit a little bit. I go, how long do you want to sit? He goes, I'll call you. I said, all right. So me and Steve cook breakfast and, and get breakfast made. And he calls. He goes, I got blood. It's about an hour later. And he calls me and he goes, I got blood. I go, did you find him? He goes, well, I just got to the blood. I was like, okay. I said, we'll be down there. So we jump in the side by side and we roll down there and he's on, he's in the backfield of this place. And there's one side of this field that you can shoot a deer that you don't want to shoot a deer on and get a bad shot. And he's on that side. (laughs) Of course he is. So we get to, I get to the edge, uh, I pull in the field and I see him standing where he's standing. I go, oh boy, because I've been down there and it's, you know, straight drop off. And I'm like, great. This is going to be at work. This just turned into work. <laughs> right. So I get to the edge of the field and I stand next to Bobby and I look at him. And he looks down, points a bullet at me and he looks at me again. And I just shake my head. He goes, what? I go, you see down there? He goes, yep. Bad spot. He goes, I know. I go, how do you feel? He goes, I go, how do you feel about the first shot? He goes, pretty good. I go, what happened to the second shot? Did he? He goes, I don't know. He's running. I said, okay. So I take about four steps in the wood, and it looks like four armadillos were side by side, just tearing it up. I didn't have to trail anything. So I'm doing this steady pace walk through this, you know, and we get to the deer, and he actually hit a back leg. But we don't know that yet. And he was only at 60 yards in the stand. This is this is perfect buck fever. Right, of course. I know it well. <laughs> so he's got a rest. He's got a rest in this big comfortable stand that's got the deer's got no idea he's even around twenty five feet up in the air and this beautiful rest on it and a seventy yard shot and he shoots him in the back leg. <laughs> so we get to the deer and the deer's still standing and I can see the deer. And this is ninety yards in the woods. Wow. In dense woods. And I can see the deer about 90 yards ahead of me, and he's right there to the riverbank. And I went, oh, boy. 
I said, he's right there. Don't let him cross that river. So free-handed, Bobby Goodwin shoots this deer perfectly, and it falls in the river. <laughs> I mean, couldn't ask for a better shot. Free-handed at 90 yards. Oh. Other deer was shooting, go to the breast. So that tells you that whole buck fever, that deer stepped out, and he got shaken. Oh, yeah. Which is all about the other part of deer camp. Sure. So if you know Bobby, and you do, Bobby doesn't like to be cold. No. Bobby wears a jacket all the way through pretty much the end of May. <laughs> right. And uh, gets cold really quick. So we run up there to the river, and we see the deer, and it goes down and comes back up, and it goes down and comes back up. It's, you know, he made a great shot. He, 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 rolled he got it, the deer. He rolled it right into the water, and now it's traveling right right the downstream. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it goes, and it's, of course, right in the bend of the river where it's going to go right to the other side of the river. Oh. The river's not very wide. It's only about 25 feet. 25 yards wide, but it goes to the other side and gets hung up and then goes down. So oh. we don't know if it's there or if it continues on the bottom. So I looked at Bobby. I go, time to go get him. Oh. He goes, what do you mean? I go, get down to your skivvies and get swimming. Bobby <laughs> looks at me and goes, no. I go, yeah, <laughs> you shot him. You owe that deer. You need to go. So my other buddy c- c- continues down the river to make sure it doesn't pop up. And, uh, Bobby stretched down to his skivvies. He's pacing back and forth on the bank of this river. Oh. And he puts one one toe in. Bad plan. And you just should. about gets completely redressed. I was going to say, you should get, go, just whoa, get whoa. You better just get in. <laughs> I said, get upstream of him because the current's moving pretty good. I go, get upstream of him and just go. Oh. You know, he went down right there. He's got to be right there on that log. Well, he gets out to about his knees and he's shaking. Uncontrollably shaking. And almost turns it all back out. I go, you got to go. And he finally, he dives off in. Oh. And he goes across. And he's against the log now. And he's shaking uncontrollably. And putting his foot down on the log and doesn't feel him. And gets to the other side of the bank. And I'm like, oh, no. He went all the way. He just kept going. He didn't get hung up there. I go, you got him? And he goes, <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. And the, just the tip of his tail is circling on the water, just spinning of the current. And he grabs him, he pulls him up tail first, and he gets on the other side. And I got a picture of Bobby <laughs> in his Valentine's underwear that his girlfriend bought him. I'm going to need that photo, just so you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's on awesome. the other side of the river, shaking uncontrollably. That's and awesome. He goes, what do I do now? I go, grab his horns and swim back over. He goes, I'll never make it. <laughs> I, I I'll don't. Once you got me out of that water, I don't know if you'd ever get me back in, boy. Woof! That's so, terrible. Maybe he finally comes with a rope, and we throw a rope over, pull the deer over, then we throw the rope over, and pull Bobby over. But what a deer story! That is crazy. That's wow. that'll live in your camp forever. Now that was was that Alabama, Georgia? That was in Alabama. That was in Alabama. Was, it was about 30 degrees, and the water temperature was probably oh. about 40, so he was not happy camping. No, that's horrible. Good and God. I got the phones on my side of the creek and all his clothes and his gun. <laughs> so he had nothing to do but sit there and watch me take pictures and send them to everybody I knew, oh. his wife and Heather. Oh, and that's awesome. Jamie's wife. And, oh, yeah, I just sat there and kept watching. <laughs> A great friend you are, Jeff Hageman. Great friend. Yes. Remind me not to do that. Do something like that when we're together, so I can oh, avoid that mess altogether. 
Captain Jeff Hageman, real-adventures.com, one of the best in the business. If you're looking to book a great tarpon experience on a Boca Grand, I can't recommend Jeff enough. He uh, showed me up in the past many, many, many days. Uh, he also helped me in the past many days. We've caught a lot of fish side by side, one of my favorite people in the business. Jeffrey, I really appreciate you spending the day with me, brother. Thanks so much. Thank you. Hey, gang, hope you guys enjoyed that edition of the Real Animals Podcast. Again, one of my very nearest and dearest friends in the fishing business, Captain Jeff Hageman with Real Adventures. Real-adventures.com is his website. Just kind of a neat story. You know, he's got such a great passion for fishing and the outdoors. Again, a great fisherman, phenomenal tarpon fisherman, probably one of the best I've ever fished with. Uh, And then his ability to catch all the other fish, you know, billfish and gag grouper offshore and big snook inshore and redfish you know he's won ifa redfish tournaments and all that stuff he's just a very very well versed angler and then obviously you can see him just about every week well at least 29 weeks a year on the florida insider fishing report giving everybody tips and ways to catch more fish here on florida's west coast so it was great to have jeffrey in here for the podcast really enjoyed that the real animals podcast is available on apple podcast stitcher tune in google play and ritampabay.com remember to subscribe rate and review episodes uh, usually get dropped every tuesday so be sure to set yourself up so you get reminders you can also uh check us on our Facebook page at Facebook slash Real Animals. You can also follow us on Instagram at Real Animals TV and on Twitter at Real Animals Fish. If there's somebody out there you'd like to hear us do a podcast with, you can throw me some ideas, drop me a note. Again, on the website, realanimals.com or through the Facebook page at Facebook slash Real Animals. Again, real important that you subscribe, rate, and review to the Real Animals podcast. Again, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and ritampabay.com. Thanks for listening, guys, and checking in with us. We appreciate you. Have a great day. I'm Jerry Petuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com.